it's always weird to me whenever I hear myself talking. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> hearing yourself in the earphones. Everybody always thinks they sound weird. It's almost like I'm trying to listen to myself and not like, pay attention to what I'm saying. Are the headphones too loud? No, they're good. All right. They're not too loud, so. And we are live, obviously. <laughs> we are here with Matt Sharp, the Rap Scallion, Pepe, <laughs> all the above. Yeah. Um, you still uh doing seracoding? No, uh, I stopped doing that last. Um, see, it was October. Uh, it, my FFL license, the you know, federal firearms license was up for renewal around the 1st of October. And uh, at the time, I had just, uh, my wife had just left. And so there was a lot going on there. And it was just, it was kind of a lot to deal with. Um, I worked shift work and stuff. So I had decided to just kind of let that uh, lapse and send everything back to the ATF. Yeah, you got to have an FFL for seracoding. Yes, you really. Um, anytime you keep a firearm uh, overnight at any uh, at anyone else's firearm at your place overnight, you're supposed to have a license to to do so. Seracoding uh, was considered gunsmithing, uh, so that falls under an O one FFL, and uh, there's there's so many laws and regulations when it comes to that stuff is crazy but uh whenever i sent everything back that was nerve-wracking to say the least because i had uh, not only did i have a license to gunsmith but i also had a license to uh distribute firearms to or sell firearms right so um it wasn't what i got the license for it was mainly to do seracoding and gunsmithing but uh Naturally, I, I mean, I had people come to me and they knew I had a license so they could have a firearm delivered to me and then they come pick it up. So I had a about a 50 person list of uh, people that ordered guns and stuff. And you have to keep up with every one of those. The, the what they call 4473s and they're the background check, basically. So you have to keep up with all those and they have to you know, be filled out right and all that kind of stuff. So, but whenever you want to get out of it, if you're like a going out of business thing or whatever, you have to send every bit of that stuff back to the ATF. And oh, so you kept records even after you sold them, you had to keep up with them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you have to keep up with them for years. So, um, yeah, I guess whenever you, like, it's a good way to bring up the national registry um right topic essentially a 4473 is a national registry in a lot of ways like because it's it's always kept like it has your name uh you can opt out of putting your social security number but it has your name uh, address driver's license number uh you know a, a pretty good bit i mean pretty much they can tell who's got the gun he's got the serial number to the gun and all that and that record is kept either by the ffl holder or it goes back to the atf 
and they they keep it. So um, <clears throat> the only difference, I guess, between that and what a lot of politicians talk about with a a national registry is their idea of national registry. To my understanding, is that it would be like a uh, transferring the title of a car where if I had a rifle and I wanted to sell it to you, an individual, we would have to go through the process of transferring that paperwork into your name, whereas uh, right now it's uh, not any kind of law saying that you can't. Yeah, that whole gun show loophole right. rhetoric. Well, that's, yeah, which is kind of a myth. <laughs> How so? Uh I've never been to a gun show where <clears throat> just someone's just in this building selling firearms to every Joe Blow that walks by. I mean, even in those situations, they still, you know, have to go through a 4473. The people that are at gun shows, uh, I mean, those people are going to have license or like uh, even like a pawn license or something. So, so it's not like the swap meet. Yeah. People are making it out to be. Yeah. Now, I guess the the issue that's always brought up is, you know, the people that may be doing that, say, down the street in the parking lot. Yeah, in the back of. alley yeah. sales, which no law is going to fix that. No. I mean, regardless. Yeah, we can make it illegal. Like drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't so. do that in back alleys because it says on this paper. Right. Yeah. That's the way it is for so many things. It's crazy. So what you're saying is we pretty much have the common sense laws that they're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, and they're and even those are not, and they're not followed so many times. There's there's regulations and stuff in place, and it's like, why did this situation happen? Like if the regulations that we had would have been enforced, or you know, then it shouldn't have happened. Well, that's one of the arguments is that a lot of places with strict gun laws are like, I think Chicago oh, yeah. or Detroit. Yeah. That has the strict laws in place are the most chaotic places in the nation. Yep. yep. But you come to somewhere like Texas and Arkansas. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, bad issue. Right. And, and I mean, bad stuff happens, obviously, but it's not, <clears throat> I don't think there's like a notable. You know, I mean, if anything, you, I mean, you can definitely see the violence and uh, gun crime and stuff in those, you know, um, like rural areas mm-hmm. of city. And I mean, I, I don't really, I'm not really sure on, um, I mean, I've heard it talked about before, but I'm not really sure on you know if i could really convey that conversation accurately but i know that there's a lot of opinions out there that gun control in and of itself has always been rooted in some racism so there's something to that as far as uh it's basically and like i said i'm gonna kind of hack this up but um a lot of the you know way back early politicians and stuff they wanted to keep the ability to protect themselves, you know, people to protect themselves out of the hands of minorities, you know, and that's, 
about as far as I can go on that. There's more to that, but I, I, I don't know enough about it to. There's definitely a history of that. Oh, I mean, yeah. The war on drugs. Oh, yeah. We're getting more information. Yeah. As time goes on, how racially motivated that was. For sure. At least then. Now. I mean, it's not a stretch. Yeah. It's not a stretch, right? No. I mean, there's, it's. It's well, pretty it wasn't well known. just race either. It was the flower power group. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Uh, protesting. Yeah. Vietnam. Yep. You know, Got to get them off the street. So weeds illegal and. Yeah, I, I've Black got Panther some... movement. Got to get them. They're politically motivated. We got to find a way to raid their houses and bust them up. And... Yeah. Yeah, I've I've thought about like a a correlation between the early like war on drugs and like marijuana specifically and the way that gun control is sort of trending in today's world and to me like i know there's a difference there obviously between someone using a gun in a crime and then smoking marijuana but if you to me it's like whenever you think about the way that they uh sort of turn the that I guess the the demonized marijuana early on. You know they put out all this propaganda about it, and it's gonna, you know, make you crazy, and you know all this kind of stuff. It, it, it's sort of I see the sort of the same thing. Like oh, well, I guess like marijuana, you know, you're a loser and stuff if you smoke. And, yeah. And so, to me, I sort of see the same thing being pushed towards someone that has a firearm or you're a firearms owner it's like you're being pushed into this dark corner where if you're a pro-gun then you're crazy you're a loser ostracized pretty much yeah and we're to me i don't know i've got i've sort of somewhat seen the, the same direction there and a lot of the people that are um seem to be against the second amendment and firearms ownership there i guess that a lot of times you don't seem to see that connection there that those are the you know i guess if we could just say the left you know a lot of the left is against firearms rights and the second amendment stuff so <clears throat> but they're a lot of times very pro marijuana you know pro or anti uh war on drugs and that kind of stuff and so, you know, it's like if we could make a connection there, then, I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, as bad. Yeah, the propaganda and, like, this Orwellian style of advertising or rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's, like I say, it's, it's pushed you in a, to a, a corner if you're a gun owner. Well, they're saying that there's more people in California buying guns now. Yeah. After all this popped off and yeah, maybe it took something like this to turn people's minds. Well, I mean, obviously it did happen, but yeah. And then, then it, it always happens on a election year. Yeah. Just like they got Trump's taxes after four years of, wanting them and all of a sudden right before the election they pop up yeah i I was i try to stay off of 
social media as much as possible. Oh, I just... deleted all mine. Really? Over a year ago. Way to go. I think, <laughs> uh, but from what I, a little bit I have seen just pop up here and there, like I seen some stuff they were, people were criticizing Trump for, uh, not paying taxes for like, I don't know, the last 10 years or at one point in time, he didn't pay taxes for 10 years or something. I don't know. I don't even know if there's any truth to that or not. It's just something I came across and it was funny because apparently he, in the 2016 and 17 tax year, he only paid like $700. Okay. I think that's the... Yeah. Like, I don't really keep up with it either. It's, I don't either. It's a headache. It was funny, though, because they were like, yeah, we, uh, this came out thinking that a lot of Trump supporters would be, you know, criticize him for not paying taxes, and it ended up just playing in his favor. They were like, way to go. Good for you. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's just the politics, you're in your camp. And you're going to defend your side no matter what. Yeah. It's like religion. Yeah. Like a Catholic is going to defend Catholicism. A Protestant is going to defend that and so on and so on. No yeah. one wants to ever admit they bought a lemon. It's that pride. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. For sure. Well, you bought a lemon? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> no, but... Uh... I don't want to get off of one topic and then onto the other. If, there, if there's anything else on the like gun, gun stuff, I mean, I know there's so much we could talk on that for days. Oh, there is a two-way situation in the news. A YouTuber, I always forget the second half of his. What was it? We tag. I always just called him Boogie. Yeah, Boogie two two nine eight eight two nine eight eight. I wasn't aware of this guy. I don't, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know him. Is he? Is he from Arkansas? Yeah, he's I from kinda... uh, Fayetteville, I believe. Yeah, or Northwest somewhere in there. Northeast. Where is Fayetteville? It's Northeast. Northwest. West. My my. Uh, I've got some dyslexia, so I always get that backwards. I got to think <laughs> about it. But yeah, it's Northwest. Anyway, uh, apparently a crazed. I wouldn't really say fan, but. An internet stalker showed up at his home, and apparently Boogie fired a shot, a warning shot at him, and now there's this, there's an investigation, so everything's really speculation at this point, but apparently he fired a shot, and a lot of people think he was in the wrong for that, since there was no actual confrontation, like physical confrontation. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to, I mean very pro-gun myself um i would have to agree i think you know just from what the little bit of the situation i've seen that's i mean it's taking it too far i mean i wouldn't um i mean but there's a lot going on there too yeah there's a lot we don't know and i don't think all the video was released yet because it's been turned over to the police and it's under investigation but and the the guy had some anxiety and other stuff going on too um yeah, and that could that could go into a whole other topic in and of itself with mental health and farm ownership. Um, I don't know; it, it gets slippery for sure. Because I mean, uh, I've never been one to deal with any kind of major mental. You know, I've been fortunate to not have any kind of a. Uh, 
you know, just real bad mental health stuff like a lot of people do. But I have experienced anxiety, still do, um, and some depression and stuff. But, you know, I think everybody does. If you've gone through death or you've gone through divorce or life <laughs> yeah i mean how do you well that's the slippery slope of the uh well the argument of the slippery slope of mental issues is what qualifies as right. mental issues where so, do you where do you set the bar mm-hmm. on it you know like somebody with diagnosed schizophrenia yeah makes sense mm-hmm. but if you go down to you know depression or anxiety hell that's most everybody eventually yeah, yeah. It, it, at least at some point yeah. in your life, I would think that you've experienced it. And not only that, but, you know, who do they appoint or do they appoint anyone to, I mean, because obviously you have to have a medical professional to say this person is incompetent to own, own a firearm. But uh, does the government appoint someone? And if that's the case, what side of the aisle is he going to be on? <laughs> and then... You know, that that's kind of where we are, too, is there's a left and a right, and it's pretty much it. It's, it's just, to me, it's killing us. Oh, yeah, this two-party system is, uh, I've said it before on this show, that I think they're just, you know, two unions fighting over power. Yeah. Nobody yeah. really... Gets anywhere. <laughs> get, yeah, we don't get anywhere. They're just pissing at each other. and Yeah. It's a Hatfield McCoy situation. Yeah, and it's I don't know I don't know what it is either. I'm like I don't know if it's like we were talking about earlier. If you you know you buy a lemon, you know, it's, you don't want to admit it. Yeah, and that's pride and ego a lot of times. So it's you know we have to at some point be willing to self reflect and just be more humble and look at our own views and you know really study that i mean i i mean i try to do that even you know to this day but um i've came a long ways i i i I mean i have to say that because i mean i I grew up um in louisiana southern baptist dad was a cotton farmer and i mean fundamentally you would say he was racist in uh, every way. Cotton farmer, yeah. plantation over from Louisiana. That's yeah. some antebellum shit. Yeah. Now, I got to say this too. I mean, I'm 32 as of yesterday. Uh, Happy late birthday. Thank you. And uh, my dad was born in 1935. So, I mean, I grew up from a different, I mean, my parents were from a different generation. Mom was 39. So she was born in like the mid 40s. So, in, I'm in the same situation. My mom was born in the 40s, like 42, I think. Yeah. I think she was 42 when she had me. I was last of the generation. Yeah. A great surprise, best for last situation. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, was, I feel you on that one, being raised by Big older. Mama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, whenever you look at it, all the stuff that was stacked against me as a kid, it's like a Southern Baptist, dad was a cotton farmer, born in 1935, you know, so his parents were, you know. More than likely. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, we're talking like, 
late 1800s, early 1900s. And Did you ever look into that and see if there was actually a situation? Uh, um, you mean like uh, like ancestry stuff? Like yeah, like my grandparents have said. Great great grandparents had yeah. plantation with slaves. Oh and... uh, no, I don't know. I don't know about that in particular. But <laughs> I do know that I had a, and I've got the paper somewhere, the document on it. Uh, I can't remember if he was like a great uncle or it may have it may have been a, like a great great granddad or something. But he was in the I want to say Mississippi Fifth of the Confederate Army and stuff. Uh, so there's definitely some correlation there into that, but oh yeah, there's a lot of Confederate history in the South. Yeah, good luck meeting anybody that really didn't have an ancestor. Yeah, for sure. So sorry. (laughs) So with that being said, uh, the way that I grew up in in all of that, and uh, now. Let me say this. My, my dad's a good, he's a good man, um, but there's definitely some history there uh, of strong opinions and things like that. It's definitely there. I mean, there's no, no hiding it, no, you know, going against that. But my mom, she was a, was a great woman, very uh, strong in her faith and that kind of stuff. She actually sang in a gospel group. Uh, so I grew up in churches all over the South, and then she even was kind of known for playing piano and stuff at funerals, so I was always at funeral homes at, you know, dead people that I had no idea who they were. <laughs> mm. uh, just as a kid, I mean, that's just kind of my, my childhood, was either uh, in a church at a singing or at a funeral you know, at a, my mom was playing piano or something like that for that, or I was in a cotton trailer or in a cotton field with my dad. So, uh, so the quintessential coveralls, oh, the bucket hat with the oh yeah, yeah, I was, wheat stalk out your mouth. Yeah, it was. The odds were stacked against me, but uh, now you're tattooed with gauges in your hair and listen <laughs> to heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we fast forward though into my teenage years or late childhood, um, I mean, I look back on it now, and in every way, you would kind of say, I guess that, and this isn't um, saying that, like, condemning my parents for the way that they raised me because they they did a great job in a lot of ways uh, I, I had it good on a lot of in a lot of things uh, but I was raised in a Southern Baptist environment so I mean I was I mean there's really only one way to say it I was indoctrinated with those you know I mean, just who isn't <laughs> very standard uh, you know ways of believing and uh so I mean, I've seen that extreme, you know, early on, and and that that went on into early adulthood, you know. So, and then, uh, you know, just the the way that my dad, you know, talked and the way he sort of viewed things and stuff. I mean, it was, you know, like I said, it was the the odds were stacked against me. 
Um, I was probably I'm trying to think of when I started working at the mill. Like everybody else, when you were two years old. Yeah, <laughs> I've worked there all my life. That was in early twenties, but anyway, that's whenever the first question of my faith was presented to me by a good friend of mine. He was a he's an agnostic, and poser, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> agnostics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, like, me and him, we went to church together. Some like he, you know, came to the church mm-hmm. that I went to and stuff. So I was always like, this is my best friend. I've known him since like first grade. So he's 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 on my team, you know. And he went to church with me and everything. And then it was uh, I forget what it was, it was something on YouTube or something, and. Uh, I brought it to his attention. I was like, can you believe this? You know, because it was someone's comment on there and they were obviously uh, against what was going on. I can't remember. I, I think it may have been something on the uh, movie, The Passion of the Christ, but I have no idea what exactly it was. But anyway, and surprised by me, it, it he sort of agreed with this guy that Concurred made the comment. the notion. Yeah, yeah and I was okay. like, oh my God, what what is wrong with you, you know? And so it's it just went, yeah, it, you're, you're this, you're like my enemy now. No, that spawned into like a two or three year debate between me and him. And it was that I had bought a lemon kind of situation where like, which I didn't really buy it. I was, you gave one. Yeah. It was an heirloom. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it was a long, I mean, I was trying to protect what I believed, you know, thoroughly that it was that, uh, pride and, uh, I wanted to be right and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I wanted to be sure that what I believed in was the real deal, you know, and which is rare. Some people would rather have the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so props for that. Yeah. And that, uh, anyway, so that, that went on there for a few years and it, it got me, um, I guess in the process of trying to protect what I believed, I got into, uh, apologetics, you know, pretty heavily. And, uh, I Did mean. Do you have it, any favorites? Um, I really liked, uh, uh, what was that guy's name? One of, one of uh, the guys I really liked to listen to a lot was, uh, his name was Ravi Zacharias. And I mean, I still, he, I he, guess I've heard of him. He was like from India. Um, and I mean, I still have, you know, tremendous respect for that guy. He, he actually passed away not too long ago, but just seemed like a really good, like, all around good guy. Um, he passed away from cancer not long ago, but, uh, him and, um, John Lennox, I know him. Yeah. And didn't and he the one with the Scottish accent? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Him and uh and then they both sort of quoted a lot of like C. S. Lewis okay. and that kind of stuff. I'm familiar with him. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to say William Lane Craig. I'm just waiting. Oh, I do remember. I mean I I do remember hearing listening to him, but he wasn't Okay. He wasn't really one of my favorites. No, compared to him. Okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> if we were going to go down that road, I was oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, 
in the line, the timeline there, that's sort of what was going on there. I mean, I was arguing and debating with my buddy back and forth, and then in the meantime, sort of studying all that. And I would study for a while and get a, you know, gotcha moment, and then go to him, and then it would be, you know, and there it was an answer back, and it just went back and forth for years. Did you ever look on the other side for possible comebacks from your argument? Uh, like towards his? No, like, did you ever, like, listen to John Lennox, get his point, mm-hmm. and then go find a rebuttal? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cha- okay. Yeah. So you just didn't look at one video and run off. What yeah. about this? Yeah, right. Now, um, <laughs> this is all sort of in the process of that transition, too, though, because early on, I was like that. I was just, you know, in that, you know. Um, Spraying and praying. Yeah, but that in that mindset of this is what I believe, I want this to be right. I don't even want to consider the uh, the opposite, you know, end of the spectrum. So early on, yeah, I was like that way, and I think that a lot of people are that way with politics and uh, religion and things like that. It's that pride. Yeah, and it's even worse with religion because that's that goes back to your first conscious thought. You know, that's pushed right. into your life and. It's yeah. a glue that sometimes holds families together, and yeah, you know, it's a it's a core part. Yeah, you know, you're totally understandable. Yeah, um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, and and we'll get to that to that on you know, in, in I guess my perspective, um, but I think in a lot of situations, I've kind of come to the place where it's it's understandable and it's even needed in some cases, um. You know, but we'll get to that. Um, but where I was at, uh, where was I? Oh. Being the core part and hard to break free from it. Yeah, so early on I was just, you know, basically kind of a one-sided deal. And um, But as I sort of read more, the more I read, the more I thought, the more um, that door started to open. Um or the smoke started to clear, you kind of say, uh, it became easier to look at life from both sides of the fence. And that's what started to happen for me was um, I started looking at every situation from both sides of that fence, you know. And uh, if you... Fast forward to 2013, my mom was diagnosed. Now, this is the, we're talking the lady that was in a gospel band and... Hardcore. Yeah, and very strong in faith and stuff. Uh, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And, like, she was she didn't, she never smoked. I mean, she was, you know, a healthy you know, person, the way she lived and everything was, she tried to eat healthy and everything. And, um, they ever like find out what could have caused it? Um, she was a fan of like old, which I'm that way, but, uh, like antique stuff going into, um, like old houses and remodeling and stuff like that. And they, so they think that somewhere along the line, there must've been like some asbestos maybe. Because it was that. Mm-hmm, makes sense. Yeah. And so that was the best we could tell. But uh, she wasn't very 
um, adamant about seeing a doctor and that kind of stuff. And she would always be the kind of person that, you know, if she had something going on, she would just, you know, oh, I'll be okay. I'll get over it in a few days or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. I'll take some Tylenol or some ibuprofen and go on. Um, so that, uh, I think that kind of ended up, you know, putting it in a place where, she, you know, it, she didn't catch it and it got to where it was, you know. But, um, so whenever she got sick or whenever we found out that she was sick, uh, it was too late. And then I, the, those, here I am, I'm, all, I'm already on the fence looking at life from both ends of the spectrum. And now I'm presented with this situation. My mom's dying. And, wow. uh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it was, man, it was a, it was mine just mush during that time. It was a year. She was given like nine months, and that was about right. She lived about nine months. But during that time, it was hard because it was like I, I wasn't really on either side of that fence. And uh, so it was like, how is, I'm trying to put all this stuff together. And I'm like, how is she you know, viewing this, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm having these conflicts in my own head, and it was just, it was like the timing of it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. You're trying to decide where you're going, and then you have this situation happening in front of you, and you have to watch the person that you really care about just starve to death from mm -hmm. chemo and everything. And so, after that, uh, she passed away in October of 2014. After that, there was, you know, um, a lot of anger there. Oh, definitely. You know, towards faith and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I just, for years there, probably, I mean, I mean, I was just openly like, yeah, this is, I'm completely agnostic. Because, I, I mean, what do you consider... Like, how do you differentiate agnostic from atheism? Uh, it's two different ideas. Agnostic, that's a question of knowledge, mm -hmm. and theism is a question of belief. So, mm -hmm. unless somebody is squatting on the greatest discovery in humankind, mm -hmm. we're all agnostic. We don't know. Right. Atheism is a lack of theism, a lack of the belief. Yeah. That's so, yeah. So, and, and I guess my, um, I would, uh, I would technically, by definition, be agnostic atheist. I don't know, and I don't believe. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense because I'm always sort of that's close. The way the way that I sort of had it viewed was you know agnosticism being uh, you know you're not sure. And until I'm presented with something that's definite, uh, I'm going to remain not sure and live life accordingly, kind of. So, yeah, thanks for clearing that up because, I, you know, I always thought, I, for some reason, I guess I always thought like atheists were like, I know for a fact that this isn't real. No, that would be a Gnostic atheist. You're declaring that you know. Yeah, almost kind of in the same shoes as the, Theist. The, oh, or the one that, you could be a 
gnostic or agnostic theist as well yeah well i guess you couldn't be a gnostic unless you're like i said you're squatting on the greatest <laughs> discovery in human yeah history. yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah that's a big topic i think it's a safe bet to say that everybody on the planet is agnostic oh boy you say that to everybody and it's like what <laughs> especially in the south yeah uh, no you don't know you have a yeah you know what you're told yeah there's no way to test yeah on whether or not this is true so i guess technically at that time i was basically come to the real the realization of that definition of being you know i'm realizing that i'm agnostic <laughs> realizing that you don't know yeah yeah, yeah that's a great that first step yeah i mean a lot of people use that as like a middle ground i'm not sure but that's which when it comes to terms i mean semantics is whatever you and the person you're talking to is agreeing to yeah. agree on so yeah it could mean anything, but the textbook definition is knowledge, yeah, and the Gnostics and belief in theism, yeah, yeah. So that that happened there, and uh, my study and like practice of faith in and of itself, I guess, just tanked after that. But what um. Man, what what I really noticed was, I guess, seeing, like, viewing life from this one extreme and having this, like, just veil over your eyes or these rose-colored glasses. And I guess that's... I'm arguing for both sides almost in a way sometimes because it's like what I see, I remember... Um, as a child or as a young adult and growing up with uh, family and friends that were uh, strong in faith, uh, you know, in a lot of times, I mean, it was, it was great in a lot of ways, but would you chalk that under maybe a ignorance is bliss situation or something else? Yeah. I mean, I could see that, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, okay. I wasn't trying to push it on and insinuate. I'm just, yeah, no, uh, see if that was the mind frame you were coming from and for some like for some people you know it's almost like you wonder if that place isn't the better of the option of the two options like because like some people we don't all think the same you know like some people are not as deep thinkers as others mm -hmm. and so if you were able to convince some of those the people that just kind of thinks um, they don't get as deep in their thought as, as others. If you were to, you know, somehow convince them that what they believed was just a bunch of, just a big sham, then yeah, well, that's how would their life go from there? Would they be like self-destructive? Would they start doing drugs? Would they just, you know, I don't know. Not, not saying that. No, I mean, you didn't, but no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that is a question that I've seen on a lot of religious debates is would you go around raping and killing if yeah. you found oh, yeah. out God wasn't real? Yeah, and, and yeah, I've true. seen that too, a, it, a lot. I hope it's no. Yeah. I mean, if if religion is what's stopping you from being a dick, then <laughs> by all means. I think in a lot of ways people wouldn't go that far. No, um, not at all. 
I get I mean, the proofs like right here because monotheism in itself minus what's going on in the Middle East and shit with yeah. that much turmoil, but definitely in like first world, it's guiding. It's got very diluted. Yeah. And it's oh, yeah, teaching. Sure. It's more like the culture is starting to shape the religion instead of the religion shaping the culture. Yeah. And there's like so many aspects that are just, well, I mean, cherry picking in itself, I think is proof of uh, secular morality being used in this, in our daily lives. And yeah. that's why I think it's far superior. If, you know, if a Christian wants to believe the hippie Jesus side of things, <laughs> that's their secular morality. Yeah. But there are the ones out there that believe wholeheartedly the whole thing. And yeah. Do you, um, like, what would you, if you had the ability to just wipe, like, humanity clean of that, I, I guess, organized religion, that kind of stuff, or if you were to convince everybody on the planet that, you know, this, we're unsure, we don't know, we're, you know, everybody's now atheist, would you do that? You're talking about if I had, if I could convince the world of, I guess, your argument of my argument, would I do it? Would it be a better place? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. I mean, maybe because religion has caused a lot of problems. Oh, for sure. But <laughs> that can also be argued that religion was just the excuse. Yeah. But. I forgot who said it. There's a great quote that uh, in this world, good men do good things, bad men do bad things, but to get a good man to do a bad thing, all you need is religion. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it would. Maybe not. I mean, it would make it better, but probably not on the scale that we would wish it would. Yeah. Yeah. Because you still have money. And power. Yeah. And... That's a big, that's a, that's a lot. Of, <laughs> that's sort of an umbrella question there. That's a lot of things under that. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I mean, that's something that I've thought about before. And just like, I guess, the day-to-day -day life, uh, everyday people, um, you see. Yeah, I think it would because uh, the more in tune with actual reality are, the better your decision-making is going to be. It's right. always been this argument that, well, my religion's personal to me. How is it hurting anybody else? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you ask the people from the Twin Towers how mm -hmm. somebody's personal religion doesn't affect them? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we we are in this together. We're a big world. We have these imaginary lines that we call countries and states, but the entire world's a village. Yeah. We're in this together, and. The yeah. more in tune the working class is, I think the better it would be. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of got all over the place there, but if I go back and try to get on track again of what I was kind of telling my background there, um, in a lot of ways I was trending in the direction of what you would imagine someone that would grew up from a Southern Baptist family with parents that are you know 
born in the 30s and 40s and dad was a cotton farmer i was trending in the direction of what all the characteristics that one would probably put under that uh early childhood upbringing you know i mean i was like if you're gay you're going to burn and (laughs) that kind of stuff i mean uh i just i was very had very fundamental yeah very fundamental and very strong opinions like westboro status no no no, okay no not yeah (sighs) there was always like you look at you know because we had some people around uh, the town that i was i grew up in that kind of done some stuff like that and it was like you know had their kids standing out by the road on the weekends holding up these signs of like aborted babies and stuff and it's like whoa you know this is wild make your kids do this it's like 90 degrees outside and you get your kids out there holding the sign up all day i mean come on but um but no i mean i was yeah a lot, a lot of things I've, I've had strong opinions on as far as like gay marriage and homosexuality and stuff um do you feel like you lost anything from the religion maybe the uh security of that belief or well do you feel like you may have gained something uh, well that's what i was yeah that's kind of where i was going with it um was i lost a lot of that strong like judgmental uh opinions and stuff about that and it like going from one extreme to the other it gave me i gained the ability to view life so much more like openly that smoke was cleared and like i'm able to i started i began to think about everything a lot open more open and clear and you know i mean i would say that it made me a much better person you know getting away from that early childhood like indoctrination uh you know you have any leftover guilt or fears from the indoctrination like like there's a a group or there's people out there that left and they still have like this fear of maybe hell or maybe you know just some deep-rooted orwellian indoctrinated core part of them that it won't go away yeah um no i mean i don't i don't you know live with the thought of you know if i die i'm gonna go to hell now um I did at one time. It was very. It was a very real thing. Uh, it's like I gotta live this way, or I'm gonna go to hell for eternity. So, but yeah, no. Now it's just like I mean, you have that unsure, like you know, agnostic idea or realization, and then you just kind of live life accordingly. And if you have to go to hell for a journey for that, then okay, I guess. Mm. <laughs> well, to me, heaven and hell would be hell because just the yeah. idea of eternity in itself right. sounds terrible. Right, I, and that, that's, you know. <clears throat> Nothing changing. Yeah. <laughs> Three trillion years later. 
Right. And so whenever you, uh, I guess you believe that and you think, you know, and that's all you believe. And it's, that's, you know, I, I would rather. It's the vampire curse, you know? Yeah. That's what was it? Which was it? Queen of the Damned? Where he was like, I learned my harsh, hardest lesson ever. Yeah. Being alone forever. Yeah. I, um, I brought up to someone the other day, we were talking about like term, terminal illness and how like there's only just a few states where you can, uh, you have the option to, um, was it medically assisted suicide? Like if you get, yeah. if, you know, if you get something you can request, you know, like I guess you have like a date set and everything and you just go in, go to sleep basically. And I was like, you know, it, it may be probably a radical idea to a lot of people, but I think that a man or a human should have the option if they want to. I mean, how, how can we say... Stay here and suffer. Yeah, like, okay, you've got, um, you know, you have this terminal illness. It's going to get excruciatingly painful until the rest, you know, your last breath is taken. And you're going to have to suffer until that last breath is taken. Like, that's... <laughs> Yeah, we can't kill a law-abiding citizen that suffered, but we can kill a yeah. rapist or a murderer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, okay. if it's even if it's their personal choice too. Yeah, you know, um, because I've seen firsthand. Well, I don't think we can execute a rapist. That was probably, but murderer definitely. Yeah, I, I've seen firsthand though um, with with my mom going through that of the man the long term like mental just heaviness that it puts on you and your family oh, i feel uh, you i went through the same going thing that. yeah so if i were if you were to rewind that situation and go through it again and you were just you know like say my mom felt like that it was the better choice to not put her family through all that and she wanted the option to just say hey we're gonna give i'm gonna give myself three months we're gonna Spend as much time as possible together. We're gonna get. We're gonna close this thing out best way we can, and then I'm gonna go. You know, there's a, you know, Doug Stanhope, the comedian. Um, no, I don't think I'm not that familiar with. Oh, check comedians. him out. Anyway, after years of past the situation, he finally come out and told the story of how him and his brother assisted suicide at his mom and like, he was waiting for the statue of limitations to pass where he told it oh, okay and she was really bad sick and um they set it up it's like everybody come here we're gonna chill have some laughs yeah i'm gonna take all this morphine afterwards so that that's was... what he did they uh went there had uh I don't know if it was days that they spent with her. Anyway, the the brothers spent time with her, or it might have been his sister. It's been a minute. It was Doug and his sibling, but yeah, they assisted suicide her mom because you couldn't do it. They done. Else. Well, she done it herself. Okay, I mean, she took the pills with alcohol. Yeah, the whole bottle with alcohol. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then he's a comedian, so. The joke afterwards was oh, it was amazing that she had so many charges on her credit card after the day she died. 
They uh, never could figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> Our ghost must have done it. But yeah. I mean, it's either do it at the hospital or it's going to be done at home. Yeah. And that's only like, was he from one of those states? He's from, he lives in. Or whenever that happened. What in state Mexico was now? I'm not sure what state he that or his mom lived in. Yeah. I think he had to like fly. I don't know. I had to yeah. look up the story. Yeah. But yeah. If y'all are listening out there, just look up uh, Doug Stanhope uh, killed his mom bit or something <laughs> like that. He tells That's the crazy. whole story. Yeah. Uh, but whenever I brought this up the other day, this this person we were on this subject. Um, this is this guy that one of the guys that we was talking to. He was kind of an older fella. 50s or 60s or something and uh his response to my uh me saying that was yeah but there's always just that question of if you do that are you gonna go to hell and i'm like well here's the thing i mean we'll really... be calling suicide i mean technically me smoking a pack a day is suicide it's yeah. just longer <laughs> it takes out. longer to work yeah and you could die something else before that happens but. yeah i mean suicide we seem to it's like ju- just call it something immediate i mean what if you shoving double cheeseburgers down your throat every day with a shake yeah yeah is that not a long-term suicide yeah and there's point i mean i, I think that there's points to be made or what ifs a big what ifs to be made uh, whenever you get on that subject but whenever you, i mean it's, to me it's just so taboo to think that uh, you know something we're, we're comparing like this is real life I'm terminally ill the pain that I'm going to go through you know let alone the pain that my family's going to go through to watch it versus but what if I kill myself and I go to hell you know it's like this is real life experience like we're gonna we're going to experience this we're all going to go through this for sure but I don't want to do it because I may. I heard a rumor once. Yeah. <laughs> which is exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so looking it's... back now, when my dad was dying, if I was old enough at the time to make the decision for assisted suicide, I'd have done it. Because yeah. it... right there at the end, his brain was so swollen from a tumor, he couldn't speak. He was talking like he just drank an entire fifth of mm-hmm. fucking whiskey. Yeah. And he got so frustrated that he couldn't talk to my sister and I. He started crying yeah. right oh, there in yeah. front of us. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, boo-hoo. I'm talking about, like, Ugly a crying. three-year-old who just got a spanking kind of, ah! yeah, <gasps> yeah. Like, freaking out, like, right. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine, yeah, and bad. and that that's a, that's, that's I think that on that topic you have to. There's a lot to think about there because I mean, for one, me and you we aren't we aren't in that situation. So how do you judge a man's will to live, I mean, especially when you have kids and grandkids and stuff involved? So, I mean, my mom, the, I think that it's probably there's nothing that she loved more than her kids and grandkids, and I was the baby of the bunch so me too and uh i literally had a one-year-old at the time and so and it was it was a girl which is 
pretty significant in my family because we have a ton of boys in my family. So uh, we're the opposite. We're all females. I was I was really an oddity. Yeah, I think there's three boys on my father's side of the family. Mm-hmm. Each brother, he had two brothers, and each brother had one boy, mm-hmm. and the rest were girls. Yeah. And like I, I've got pictures of my mom, uh, no hair, you know, sitting in the chair holding my little girl. It was about she was about one, close to one, and like I remember her like holding her and looking at her and just break down and start sobbing because it was like I mean you didn't know what she was like she wasn't saying anything but you knew what she was thinking and it was this woman that has as much faith as anyone that I've ever been around but then in that moment it's you can see the realization in her emotions that my time is limited. I'm holding, you know, my baby boy's one-year-old daughter, and I'm not going to get to see her graduate, or, you know, I'm not going to get to go to her. Not even days. see her walk. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't so, know. Was she walking at one? Uh, I, think, I think she was. Yeah. I'm trying to think. She was born May 2013. So yeah, she was, she was one. Yeah, but yeah, she was probably walking. Fuck it, but we get the yeah. yeah. But anyways, yeah, it was that you could see the realization of. You, you know, think she it was limited? Called, you know, bullshit in her head, maybe a little. Like this I, is, this sucks. I mean, oh, I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, it was it it was very towards the end there and stuff man it was it was brutal i remember one of the the things that stands out the most to me was like probably this is probably like a week or two before she actually passed but uh one of the last vivid memories was going in there she's in her bed at home you know they didn't call hospice that kind of thing like we've done all we can do that kind of stuff and um going in there she's essentially just sleeping and uh, I was laying in the bed beside her, and um, she's taking a breath about every thirty seconds. Mm. You know, and, uh, watching that is is pretty brutal. But the uh, all the stuff there that followed that, you know, and uh, what was that? I think that maybe my dog. Killer squirrel ninjas. <laughs> but yeah. Did that situation go ahead and push you? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, it after that it was there was a lot of anger. So it was just like, I'm over the fence now. Mm-hmm. Total opposite end of the spectrum. And I lived that way for uh several several years. What were you angry about? Just you know the fact that. Um, my mom pours so much of herself into faith and that not only just that, but going that, out like that, going out like that. And then even during that, uh, situation, her, the last nine months of her life, like up until the last breath, it was, she believed that 
she was going to be healed and you know watching that and stuff and it's i think um or was anger towards the religion or yeah, to yeah. god or to oh, her yeah. for believing it or no not not to her i mean um for believing it you know not at all but uh yeah just the i guess the abandonment like it's just like i'm just i'm done with this you know like this is taking away the most important person or one of the most important people in my life and she dedicated her whole life to this and this is how it ends so and i mean i we i guess we both know that a lot of uh religious people would probably use that as an argument to say well that's the reason why that you're or that you went that direction afterwards mm-hmm. you know you're angry you're not abandoning god you're just mad at yeah him. you wasn't you didn't uh prove anything you're just mad and you're you abandon it or whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, going through from one extreme to the other, um, it opened my eyes to so much in life in general. Uh, I feel like it, it made me a, a better person in so many ways, uh, and just a lot less, you know, a lot less judgmental and a lot, you know, because... I don't know, just, it's crazy to think back on some of the simple ways of, you you know, viewed things. It was almost like, you know, the, the world's just this small place that you live in. And, you know, back then, whenever I, I believed all that, the way that I believed it, anyways. So, realizing that the world's a big place and, you know, that, because, I mean, it was... It was like some stuff like you can't, you know, you can't have, you can't be successful without having faith in God, or you can't have a successful marriage without God being... bless the USA. <laughs> yeah. Type shit. Yeah. Even though we're not. Yeah, and secular then, countries are actually kicking our ass in economics right now. Yeah, yeah. And then realizing that hey, there's there's a guy over here that he's him and his wife are non-believers, happily married successful jobs have lives you know well not just non-believers but other faiths yeah other faiths yeah absolutely no concept of religion at all yeah like there's a i've been studying french and there's this youtuber i watch he uh i don't think he speaks french but he he learns languages like really really quick Mm -hmm. and he tries them out and he like go to chinatown I cannot pronounce this dude's name. Starts with an X. Zhao Mei or white dude. Mm-hmm. But he done uh, one segment on the hardest languages around the world. And one of these languages was a tribe on the Amazon River. And their language is hard because they do not understand abstract thought. Like they don't understand numbers and colors. And a uh, what they call missionary went down there to try to preach Jesus to them, and they don't understand the concept. You know, he's over there talking about Jesus, and they're like, "Well, where's he at? I don't, I don't see him." Yeah, and that's almost hard to even. For, I couldn't for me imagine. To even grasp, you know, 
not having yeah. the concept of abstract thought. I mean, yeah. they're literal. It's, if it's not in their vision, it does not exist. Yeah. And it's hard for people like us that come from a society where we do have abstract thought and we do have these concepts of religion to think what it would be like to not even be able to comprehend the idea of yeah. death, let alone an afterlife. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I guess for us, you know, we can look at a screen on, on a phone or a computer and see stuff going on, on the other side of the world, even though it's not right in front of us. Oh, the internet definitely killed religion. Yeah. I said it. I think I talked to Drew about it. I believe that uh, religion's biggest weapons have always been fear, isolation, and ignorance. Yeah. And I think internet kill all three of those. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it, started the, it started the ball for the all the doubt <laughs> and question that I had. Oh, yeah, just the seed. Yep. Like, how old's Elena? Seven. Like, how, can she get online and look something up? easy we try to keep her away from it oh, as much as possible to. but uh she yeah i mean now she gets on youtube she'll she'll get on youtube in a or i was going with this that, you know you tell a kid something they're immediately gonna go to the internet and look oh, it up yeah. and research it and yep. find that's, it out you know and that's this is i find myself doing this a lot but because i still i'm very uh i try to be very like you know, sympathetic and uh, try to be, you know, close to and understanding to people that are still in, you know, religion really strongly and that kind of stuff uh, and sort of understand where they're coming from because I was maybe there at one time, that kind of stuff. But uh, I think one of the, this is what happened to me anyway, is that, they're not like you were saying they're sort of shut off from the information world out there and you know growing up well especially the older it, generations like if have that yeah yeah luxury and, and i think that if someone wanted to raise their kid in faith in today's world and it be anywhere remotely close to being successful they had better realize that you can't keep them shut off anymore like you have to if you're going to raise your kid in faith, uh, then you can't just, you know, take them to to Sunday church and you know sing the hymns and show them the colorful you know books and you know this is Jesus and he loves you so and all that kind of stuff. Like you have, you're going to have to become an apologetic. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to at least go ahead and start presenting the tough questions and that this is a real thing and that you're going to be presented with the tough questions at one time or at some time in the future. I mean, it's inevitable. And if they're not prepared for those, then it's going to happen the way it happened for me. You know, they're not going to be prepared. And then at 18, maybe 16, even, even maybe even earlier than that, they're going to be presented with these tough questions and it's going to tear their world down. And like, you don't know what could happen. That's the reason why I was asking earlier about would it be a better place if you could convince everyone that it's not real? Because for some, and especially like a 13-year-old or 15 or 16-year-old, if, if they're presented with those tough questions and they're the smoke's clear just all at once and it's all tore down, 
then how more likely are they to go towards drugs or just abandon everything and say, screw it, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, they get to that fuck it moment. Right, right. It, so. Well, it's just like uh, around here, you know, a lot of the kids that were sheltered, you know, oh, drugs yeah. are bad, they ended up being the biggest fuck ups yep. than the people I was partying with at 16 or 17 that were drinking and smoking. They you know, grew up and became responsible. And then the ones that were sheltered, yep. once they got out of the house, they went fucking nuts. Yep. I think it's the same thing. It's like, what's this world? Yeah. What do I, mean, I do? Man, that was that show. And it's been years ago since I don't even watch. Like, I don't even have any satellite or cable TV anymore. But there was a show several years ago. It was like these Amish. And these teenage Amish would, like, have the ability to, to go out into the world. Oh, was like it a, a movie? Week. I think it was a show, I thought. If it was a movie, it was probably Sex Drive. Rum Springer! Oh, that no, one? That, yeah, I no. know what you're talking about. Oh, but it, this was like a reality show kind of thing. Oh, I didn't and they had the, that one. they had the opportunity to, like... And I don't know if this is a common practice with yeah, Amish. apparently. I don't know. I'm not Amish or uh, yeah. Mennonite or anything, so I don't know. Like at a certain, apparently, that's a thing. Where they, they let them go out and sort of... You get a choice so. to come back or stay or... Yeah. So, well, I mean... But I've seen, uh, but it's kind of a set up system because you got so much support and backbone here, and you're just thrown out into the world without a for external sure. education or for sure, yeah. It you know it's kind of like yeah. throwing somebody off a raft in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> like, how is it, buddy? <laughs> yeah, sink or swim. Yeah, some people do make it to the island. Some yeah, come back to the raft. Yeah, but yeah. Well, he's I'm talking a... about a like guilt and fear lingering left over. Is there anything that, like, when you were growing up in, they told you if you do this, you're bad. If you do this, you're you're going to hell. Is any of that still lingering or left of you thinking that it's a? I guess the concept of sin. Do you still adopt no. that? I no i mean i don't think in the sense that i did then at all i mean it it just kind of you start to realize that um you know us as humans and a lot of times i guess we're just you know it's sort of the just we're we're all sort of inherently decent you know majority of the time i guess so you start to look at it like i don't have to have this set of rules to be a good person and it's just like you know am i going to be a good a decent human or am i not and like i don't i don't really make a connection between if i do something wrong or whatever you know no like i just i i see all that stuff from a different angle than i did then if that makes sense so you're saying you're seeing it more like just your road to where you want to be rather than yeah. this set path of what you're supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Well, that's life. I mean, you know, just the free, like, the free thinker mentality, you know, just like, <laughs> Hey, you know, I'm here. This is what I've got. I'm not sure on so much. It's so much more peaceful to think that way, to be able to think that way and not have this thing, like this big looming, you know, thing that's, in your life, you know. Well, 
Well, you want to jump into like the psychology of it, <clears throat> of why you think it's still so prominent in the U.S. and leaving other first world countries and it's getting to where it's basically us in third world countries. Yeah. You think there's... Uh, what's the psychology behind that? Man. I don't know. That's a deep one for sure. Um, I don't know. What do you think about it? I, I could probably feed off of that some too. <clears throat> well, I think it's still prominent in the world because of the amount of artificial selection that yeah. has been done since its inception. I mean, a lot of non-believers have been murdered in cold blood throughout the years and the subservient people lived and mm -hmm. got to breed. I think that's a, a a notion that really isn't discussed in these discussions much mm -hmm. is the amount of artificial selection that has went, that we have experimented on ourselves with that ended up being where it is because until the United States, <coughs> there were no secular societies in the world. And just in the 200-odd years that we've been here, the conversation has shifted dramatically than the past 6,000. Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, for a lot, it seems like for a lot of people um, that, that have faith and stuff too, I sort of make a connection between it's almost being like a meditation. And I think that like for a lot of people, they need it. And... This goes back to me asking you earlier, like, you know, if you could convince everyone, would you, would you do it? Um, I've, there's something that I've thought about before, and this is, like I say, this is just on a person-to-person -person basis. I mean, I'm not it, kind of the, the grand scheme of, you know, if we could convince the whole world, you know, that's, that's a big thing. But just day-to-day -day people, you know, for, I think for some, it's, it's sort of like, you know, some people deal with certain things through music or like playing guitar or playing drums or whatever it's almost like a it's their own form of uh you know, like a meditation to kind of get their mind off of something or calm them down i mean it was that way with me i grew up skateboarding so um it was that way with me but um so i think that for a lot of people faith is sort of the same way uh i wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to just every situation convince them otherwise of something because it would, I wouldn't want to break down their, essentially like, almost like a medication, like a mental, like well, a mental medication. the reason they call it the opiate of the masses. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, somebody can argue is why instill that handicap on someone to begin with. For sure. I understand that too. Yeah. Yeah, like you said earlier, you were in, you feel like you're indoctrinated. That's the reason why, like I think, like with Ella, um, it's not pushed. Um, it, it's presented, like it's there. I mean, even with me now, you know, it's there because I don't. I've never wanted to be in a place where I just totally would hide something from her, an idea of anything, because to me that's counterintuitive. I mean, it's almost like setting up for failure yeah and like the same way that for me being 
indoctrinated under that veil and everything and not being presented with the questions of the, the opposite end of that spectrum. Well, it's the same way now, I feel like, on the from the other way. It's like, I could hide her from this, but then one day if she's presented to it, like, how is she going to handle it? That kind of thing, too, you know? So, um, like, even to this day, I don't have a problem with, like, if she wants to go to church somewhere, I'll, I'll go to church with her somewhere, that kind of stuff. Uh, but... It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't want to hide anything from her, you know, so. Yeah, because then that, uh, curiosity of why you were hiding it pops in. Yeah, that, yeah, and, you know, I don't know, I just like, now, I, I'm like, I just, I like to experience whatever, like, I, I'm not against i'm this way with like politics and everything i mean if i have a a view on something like i'm not afraid to go and view the other side of that spectrum and get an argument from the other side or whatever so and i think that's the only real way that you can kind of get a anything close to an honest you know opinion on something with that kind of thinking it's pretty rare these days everybody is so comfortable in their camp you know they're like 50 generations christians right. or whatever and right part and that, of the bloodline and yep and that's the reason why i wanted to go back into my childhood and all the odds that i had because i mean i was trending in the direction of just being totally like one side of the aisle on the stereotypical like poster child of that and i was able at some point to open the door and i mean now i look at so many you know so much stuff from you know either side of you know any given situation i try to be understanding but i also try to self-reflect myself and be honest with myself and so if i'm able to do that then i know that man it like if i feel like that if we could convince everyone to just do that we would be so much better off Politically, you know, just all around, just all around. Sure. Look at the arguments. Get out of your camp. Get out yeah. of your bubble. Yeah, we have got to Absolutely. do that. Absolutely, there definitely needs to be more intelligent conversation in this world. Yeah. But hell, our leaders can't even do that. You watch the debates, dude. I watched I, thirty look, seconds of, it and I was like, oh, they were fighting like two-year-olds. That's what I've heard. See, mm-hmm. I didn't. It probably even. The last election, I I was pretty into, like, listening and watching politics and stuff, and it's just done gotten absolutely ridiculous. And and so, no, I didn't watch any of it. I didn't I didn't even care to. It just, was the manifestation of the sideshow that it has become. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what's going to come of it, you know, oh. in the long run. You said you got to go at two, so we get into politics. That might be, like, another three hours. Well, no. So. We'll skip that I've got until uh yeah it probably could be three hours. I've got till two thirty. So <coughs> that's no big deal. Oh. Get some time. But yeah, that was. I don't know. I don't know where we're headed in that direction. <laughs> what, in politics? Yeah. Yeah, there's. It's, it's almost scary. It's sad. 
that's all that can be said about it. It's sad. There's so many people that they just vote party. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just never understood uh, willing to like yell and fight over somebody that doesn't even know your name. Mm-mm. That does not make sense to me. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I I see a connection between that like early like you inherited an idea like if you done that the way that you done religion and that kind of stuff as like a child and you were raised that way well then essentially i mean do you not think it'd be the same for what side of the political aisle you're on like now i just well this is what mom and dad mm-hmm. you know voted or this is the way they you know, we're cowboys fans here yeah, yeah. Type so, of thing. Yeah. Not to throw NFL under the bus or anything, just making the analogy of it's basically like being a sports family. So in the in the big scheme of things, can you sort of throw our political views as a country in with uh Orwellian indoctrination? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's not like they're up there telling the fucking truth to begin with. No, no, not at all. Telling you what you want to hear and what they're not going to do. <laughs> All this shit I just said, <laughs> I'm going to do the opposite. Yep. It's a, it's a game that show. Was, that was what got me, man, uh, was whenever Trump got elected and stuff. And, you know, he was pro-gun and he was pro-Second Amendment and all this stuff. And then it was like, we have never, I don't, I, in my lifetime, I have not seen a president that has uh, said he was Pro something and done these so total... much against it. Yeah. Well, what and... do you think about all that uh silly bands like bump suppressors stock. and bump stock gimmick fucking shit, man? And they're making it, it a talking point. Oh my god. Probably you don't bad. know bump stocks were invented because people could bump fire before the stocks. <laughs> yeah. That was the you could do that without a stock easily. Easily. From the shoulder. No problem. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a big one. And suppressors are gimmicky. They're not it's not like the movies where Yeah. Not even no. close. No, not at all. It's that goes back the suppressor stuff goes back to uh the NFA back in the thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, that was uh the gangster days and stuff. Yeah. That's a shame. But um, the bump stock thing, the what's I, so bad about that is that the way that it was executed, the, the way that he went about the whole thing was just, to me, is so dangerous, politically dangerous, because it didn't, like, he just completely went around this country's process of, I mean, so, we, you know, we vote on people to be, to make the decisions, you know, down to the, the senators and the you know the lawmakers and stuff, we vote on those people in favor of you know how we think that they're going to handle a uh, a law that's presented or a bill that's presented, and so he just goes around that whole process, and people still think that he's the greatest president that we've ever had, and they're going to vote for him this year. And it's like, what are we doing? I mean, he he just he went around Congress with this ban on bump stocks and just said this went to this bureaucratic agency, the ATF, and all their glory. 
and said, do away with it. Make it illegal. And it's like, what, is that where we are, really? And then, it, so the ATF defines, the, or they differentiate all, a full auto from semi-auto. It's like basically it, the way it is worded is a single action of the trigger for trigger each time. Group. Yeah, for each time it's fired, you know. And that's what they have, you know, for years now have said that's what makes it a semi-auto and all that. So, um, <laughs> Fully semi-auto? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they went from that to having to say, you know, now with these bump stocks, they had to somehow come up, because the president said so, have to come up with this rewording of it to make it this enhanced, rate of fire well what is i mean where do you draw the line well, like what is standard rate of fire i mean every gun's different every charge every, is different every, every person's different i mean, i could pull a trigger maybe yeah, slower person, or faster than weapon. yeah and so what that to me what that rolls into is like you know okay just say biden wins or whatever well then he the way that trump worded all this stuff was these rate increasing devices which is, yeah, that's where they put the bump stock at, was this rate-increasing device or whatever. And, so we got to cut off our fingers now? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, if we go into that, we can say that, uh, you know, the way that a, a semi-auto works is either a blowback operation, which has got a, a bolt mass or the, the face where the, you know, the bullet's in the chamber, and then you have this bolt that has the firing pin in it, strikes a striker on the... Uh, case and fires it and so a blowback is you've got this bolt this it's got a mass to it so whenever it the firing pin drops it blows it uh it fires and then the the mass of that bolt the weight of that bolt drives it backwards and cycles and puts another round into the chamber and then you have like an ar-15 which is a, a gas operated system it uses its own uh, gas to cycle the bolt and all that so i mean you could consider you know, now can, say, Joe Biden say, well, now the gas system on rifles, and it's not just AR-15s, a lot of rifles are operated by oh, yeah. gas. So you could say, well, the gas operating system on a rifle is a rate-increasing device. So now we have UK gun laws almost w without even a question. And oh, Trump, put, and Trump, the pro-2A guy that everybody's so, you know, for, put this in motion. I mean, now we're running around with all we've got is bolt actions and lever guns. And so, but people are still going to vote for him. What's and your so uh, think that he's the opinion on this uh, high capacity situation? I mean, my opinion, I think that if you've got the money, you should be able to buy a tank. I, that's <laughs> <laughs> In theory, yeah. I yeah, think you can. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it gets into a whole other topic there. What about there, once but, it gets up into, like, nuclear? I mean, I think it's unrealistic that someone would have the money to, to buy it. So, But I do think that, I, I mean, hey, I whatever. Know, Amazon I, this guy is, might be able to get one soon. Yeah, he may be able to. <laughs> uh, but, no, I think that, uh, I mean, the, the whole purpose of the Second Amendment is not self-defense even. You know, that's a, that's a sort of a, seems like a common misconception that it was ever even written for self-defense. It's not the case. 
is written to equal the playing field, you know. And so, I mean, I don't think that the general the general public is always, you know, supposed to have the ability to oversee the government and to keep them in check and to keep them in line, level that playing field, have the ability to lay, lay uh, level the playing field. And if we slowly take away our ability to do that, bringing knives to a gunfight. Yeah, and I mean, it's not. That people think that oh it's a it's this crazy far out idea that something like that would ever happen, but no it it's it's whenever it gets to a certain point it's very it's a very real thing. Yeah, you know, they're not gonna do anything until they know they can. You know, so yeah, I mean it seems like everything's hunky dory until we they they see that you know we don't we don't have the ability to go and buy ammunition anymore. Like we could, we don't have the, we we're all running around with the bolt action. So now we can pretty much do whatever we want. I mean, this is this is history. This has happened time after time after time. So, <laughs> what do you think about the argument? You know, the mass shootings are easier with semi-auto, these semi-auto the high capacities. Yeah, you think there's actually an argument there? Or? Well, I think that. We, just like with a lot of other things in our, our issues in our country, we have to look at the, the foundation of these issues. They're trying to legislate something away that the root of the issue is still there. Like, we have a problem with mental illness in this country, and it's being vastly ignored, I think. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that someone that is to that point of these mass shootings or at a school or an event or anything like that, they should not have access to a firearm. Um, but right, I'm talking about the argument where people want to do away with semi-auto high capacity so they're not available for people like that. Yeah. Yeah, I never understood how a tool can be blamed to begin I, with. I, I mean, haven't either. Twenty no. bucks and a trip to the dollar store, I could build you something that can take out a, a bunch of innocent, unarmed kids, you know. Yep. Or a crowd of people. Yep. And it's not. I don't think it's going to do anything. If even if they do go through with it, it's no. There's more than one way to skin a cat. That's a, yeah. That's the reason why I was. Uh, said it like that with our our issue with mental illness is because if someone gets to that point in their mind that I want to uh you know cause as much harm as I can to a bunch of people unarmed people I mean, how is the access of a firearm going to change that like they made the decision in their mind to to go through with that I mean whether it be with a you know a knife or a car or some kind of makeshift explosive yeah, Oklahoma City bombing is fertilizer and oxidizer. Yeah. <laughs> or as Bert Gummer says, a fuel household chemicals in the proper proportion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. I understand the emotional argument behind it. They they want to blame the, the scary part of it, but it's not going to help. And mm. Once again, 
there's more than one way to skin a cat, and if somebody's prepared to do that, they're going to do that. Yep. Yep, for sure. And and now just, you don't have nothing to fight back with. Right. And you and that's the thing is like so many like legislative ideas that they come up with. It's, it sounds good on the surface, but then it's like the stuff that goes along with it is just like it. It's that whole. Um, I would prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. You know, and I mean, at some point, it's like, I mean, do you, how how do we put, I mean, we're talking about the same people that was on the debate the other night, like two two-year-olds arguing at one another. I mean, I, I can't say that I want to put 100% of my safety my trust and safety into someone like that and that 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 is our political system as a whole pretty much like all of them people are like that just about it there's some guys that have some decent ideas for sure but i don't know of any government program that is very effective or efficient efficient mainly for sure i don't know it's just like police i mean somebody's breaking your house you're Either dead or they're gone by the time the cops get there. If you have a chance to call, I mean, well, now they're even wanting the, they're they're even giving the police the ability to, to just you know with these no knock warrants and stuff. I mean, oh, that was terrible. That's stupid. It's crazy, man. I mean, it's like how can you dip, tell between a thug kicking in your door and a street insane. a cop in street clothes kicking in your door? And not only that, but how does the cop tell between the person sitting on the couch if that's the one that they're after or? That's a good point. The guy in the bedroom back there, you know. Uh, and that's been the case with some of the situations that is, uh, like with the uh, Breonna Taylor deal. Um, I don't know just everything there is to know about that situation, but I know she got shot by the police, and the person that they were after was, like, a boyfriend or something that maybe would have been in the house. Or Actually, I think it was the wrong house altogether. Okay, well, it may have been. I'm not entirely sure. It may have been something like that. I don't know. There's been so many stories that yeah. they get jumbled, but yeah, yeah. I, so I don't think it was her that was the problem in well, the situation. Not at, all, not at all. I think that was like a. I don't know, man. It's so screwed up. It's like, and even after that situation, like Rand Paul, he wrote the bill that was presented to do away with you know no knock warrants, and then he's out in public, and a lot of people like are threatening to hang him and he's like they were like screaming at him telling him to say her name and it's like this is the guy that wrote the bill to do away with the reason why we're talking about her mm. like <laughs> so it, it's just crazy out there right now oh, all these protests and shit today that's just a manifestation of the youtube comment section yeah that's that's all it yeah. is they want to feel important like they're doing something but they're actually wasting more tax dollars wasting more people's time causing more trouble and mayhem yeah you know all those cops that have to go out there and babysit your ass are on overtime and that's money that could have went to your schools yeah we could get on that too i mean we could have two or three of these mm -hmm. but uh i'm not gonna give those some bitches the time of day yeah i mean that's like silly i don't know i've i've seen some pretty um, interesting opinions on 
uh, from guys like, uh, I mean, one guy in particular is very, very, like he runs a pro 2A channel on YouTube. Um, but he was speaking out against the uh, like militarization of the police and stuff and how we've sort of evolved from what it was intended to where we are now. And it's pretty interesting. His name is uh, the, the Yankee Marshal. And he has some pretty, he can be very annoying sometimes, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, he's, he, he makes some really good points. I think he actually may have worked in like, a, I forget what it was, um, like public affairs of some kind at some point, like with, um, like almost like social programs of some kind, I think. So, I mean, he's he's been in with, stuff about like people that are less fortunate or they're um you know in bad situations you know and what the how to handle it or what to do and that kind of stuff so but he's 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 also very uh, second amendment so he's got some interesting points you think the police are getting too strong oh yeah definitely gear wise or right wise and and, yeah yeah gear wise too and i think that they're just because i mean i'm you know, not against a police any whatsoever, but um, I think that there's them guys, those guys have so much put on their backs. It's like this is this is too much in a lot of, a lot of cases. And then you mix in the fact that a lot of times you have um, the kid that was bullied in high school grows up to be a cop, mm. and there you go. <laughs> Yeah, defunding is going to make that a lot worse, though. Yeah. It's already crap pay now. If it gets any worse. For sure. That's the only person it's going to attract is the gung-ho Rambo type. Yeah. The the guy that I was just talking about, he he actually talks on that, the defunding of the police and all that kind of stuff. And um, the way that he describes it is pretty coherent. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it seems like whenever you say that, you know, defund the police, it's like we're just going to cut the money from the police forces and stuff, but that's not necessarily the way that he conveys it, at least. And so I'm, I kind of wonder if that whole idea, uh, at least on the political level of it, is actually we're going to cut the money from the police where they don't have access to this and that. Because, like you said, it is in most cases bare minimum now. Yeah. So, but I think it's more of a shift in responsibility and uh, realign kind of what the tasks are for the police. You know, and almost like even like deputizing some other public servant uh, service. And what career. making them a police officer? Yeah. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> I forgot who. I think it was Donut Operator. He's a YouTuber, ex-cop guy. He said, "Yo, we could defund the police and start this new group, but there, that new group is just going to eventually evolve into police. Because mm-hmm. yeah, <clears throat> if you stop, start with a like a social service worker, well, they're not going to go into a hostile situation mm-hmm. unprotected. So you got to send a cop with them, right?" So why not arm them? Oh, you mean a cop? <laughs> yeah, right. It, 
But and and then on the other end of that spectrum too, though you think about like this, um, we've sort of created this monster, you know, in some sense of or there's all there's like this tension right between police and um, individuals that are you know maybe breaking the law or whatever or maybe maybe not maybe they're just in a, a bad neighborhood, but they're just having a you know, some kind of dispute between like a fight or something out in the front yard and, you know, police are called and the police show up. Well, this uh, reputation that's been created, you know, tension that's been created whenever the cop shows up, it's like, well, now I'm in trouble. You know, now I've got to run or I've got to fight back or, you know, act, act out, act hostile, you know, so, um, you know, should a cop, I guess the question is, is should a cop be tasked with the responsibility of, you know, husband and wife fighting out in the front yard and causing a ruckus? Or should it be, I don't know how maybe exactly, but maybe somehow someone that is less, has has doesn't have all of that looming tension between their, I mean, because they're they're there to protect and serve, but at the same time, it's like it's become, a, you know, this reputation of I've got to come in and you're going to jail or you're, you know. So are you talking about like a social worker? Yeah. Well, that's what I was talking about. But it's, let's say you're in a husband and wife situation; they're squabbling. Are you going to send an unarmed person out there to talk to them and one of them get irate and yeah. go grab a gun yeah that, i mean you're gonna have to send an officer there regardless even if it's just to protect the service worker what if and, you what if you had like if you give the service worker the ability to i mean they they're able to protect themselves that's what in i said situation. a cop <laughs> i guess it doesn't matter who you're sending they're going to evolve into a police officer yeah. They're just, you want to call it something else, but in, in its definite terms, that is a cop. Yeah. They're deputized. They have their ability to carry a weapon. Yeah, that's that a cop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, tu- it's call, a toughie. You can call a wolf a coyote all you want, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's a toughie. I don't know what to do. I mean, because, you know, we've created this... Uh, you know, somehow the a police, the police as a whole, is, is we're in the situation where it's like they, in a lot of cases, they show up and they're like, you know, they're the big bad guys. And so, I mean, what do you do? I don't know. We have to somehow we have to turn the tide on all of that stuff. I don't know exactly how to do it, but I don't think that militarism anymore is gonna making them less, making them more scary. And in the world, drugs would. Which- certainly help because yeah, that I think would give so street money that would kill you know a lot of this big income yeah and a lot of tension and a lot of unnecessary engagements yeah like you know what's the point of pulling somebody over with a little weed and them end up freaking out and shooting you over some fucking weed it's it's not worth it no and i think that uh with that too like uh you know these non-violent drug-related uh crimes that are sent to, you know, in some cases, they're sent to prison. And then, you know, just say they're sent there for a year. 
or two years or something. Our rehabilitation sucks because it's like we send them to prison for a year or two and then they get out and now they can't even get a job. So what do they do? I mean, what other option do they have? They go back to drugs or worse. And so, I mean, we just, like, where's the rehabilitation in that to me? Well, you know I was a CEO over here. Yeah. For a yeah, bit. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I really don't see how prisons are working when you just, you're basically in there just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for your time to be over. Yep. I mean, yeah, they have school, which, you know, getting your GED, I yeah. guess, yeah. is okay. But like you said, it don't matter if you got a GED or not, you get out with that reputation and nobody's going to hire you. Nobody's going to hire you, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So they just resort back to drugs or, you know, whatever it may be. Well, hell, I mean, it's hard enough for us out here, you know? Yeah. Like, selling drugs sounds amazing right now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of tax-free money. And I gotta, all I got to do is make a phone call. Yep. It's better than working. In fact, there are a lot of celebrities that sold drugs in their early days to get by while they were doing, trying to make it. Yeah. And you'd be surprised yeah. at who it was. But, yeah, yeah that's then, ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I always wonder, too, is how much of our um, politicians are putting in place or have put in place that are that's still there that keeps um, minorities where they are. And then that, you know, in turn uh, creates, you know, this. Talking about, like, keeping them in hoods? Yeah. You know, well, that was definitely a real thing back in the day. I forgot what they called it, but, yeah, like, real estate kind of kept them separate. I don't think it's so much the case now. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe not as. People had a bad start from that situation. Mm -hmm. Like, segregation really gave them a bad start. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you can make it out. And, you know, it's just as hard for, you know, people like us that were born in a small town with no economy and yeah, can't really tough. get a foot forward either. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, we're, I don't know if it's true, but. They've always said that this county is like the meth county of Arkansas. Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it runs a pretty good race. <laughs> it's a contender, at least. Yeah, that's definitely a contender. But yeah, I mean, how most of the world has a bad start, or most of the U.S. has a bad start. Yeah. I mean, if you live in the city, you got immense competition, and if you live in the suburbs, you don't got many opportunities. So. Right kind of fucked. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. We keep a... I don't know. I don't know how we have to fix it, but it's like... It, it makes it hard, and then... They, they... You know, they grew up around drugs or violence or whatever, and they're gangs. And then... It just kind of goes from there into, uh, they sort of go into that lifestyle 
Yeah, I mean, and it's then, it's a cult pretty much. You mm-hmm. know, they grab you when you're young and yeah, impressionable. And I ain't gonna lie, I, th- I think uh, the gangster culture and media drives a lot of it. Reinforces. Yeah, I wouldn't say drives, but it reinforces it. In- influences it. Yeah, pretty heavily. I but is that is that the same argument as like the video games cause shootings? Yeah, I mean that's that's my dilemma right now with it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've seen it. I worked in a prison, and you know this whole gangster thug life shit was. It's real. It's there. They yeah. they think it's real. Yeah. And uh, and I got to thinking about Satanic Panic and the video games and Columbine and all this and you know Manson getting in trouble for Columbine and you know the whole debate on Satanic metal music and yeah I don't know I think there is like I said we are all in a village so yep. like I'm gonna act more in tune like if Ella was in here you know I wouldn't smoke around her or I wouldn't do this around her you know I know that my influence I'm here I exist so yeah. I do have influence yeah I don't think it's their responsibility so much but to deny that kids aren't monkey see monkey do is playing stupid as well mm-hmm. so I don't know yeah like whenever the whole Columbine thing comes down and Manson was getting blamed you know he the only part I was upset with him about was he was kind of hiding behind this it's art kind of mask yeah which he's right but I don't think you should be able to just hide behind that without at least admitting yes Kids are monkey see monkey do. Even though it's not my responsibility to raise your little kid, right? You have an influence. You have a voice. But you are influential. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I tell you what I think. I think that, um, like social media, Facebook, is a big one, has caused more harm than good since its inception. That, that may be kind of bold, but <laughs> I, I mean, just if you just look at like human nature and our habits, how we tend to handle anything that's presented to us, whether it be good or bad, we abuse it. And while it's like social media as a whole has also created so much good in so many ways uh, through the connection of you know, just the ease, the ease of connection between individuals. But at the same time, it's just like, man, is it, is it worth it? Like psychologically, what does it do? What has it done? You know? um, Well, here's a question. Do you think people are in real life the way they act on social media? Hell no. I think they get a little bolder (laughs) on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, except for that guy that showed up at Boogie's, he backed it. <laughs> this is what I think. I mean, this may be this may be a kind of a radical idea, but I've thought about this before. But you know, we want to blame a tool or a gun for mm-hmm. mass shooting. But how much influence has 
the connection to like just information as a whole through internet even and social media I, I mean how much of that has caused the drive for someone to do that through the oh yeah there was a copycat from columbine right. yeah yeah but you know you, there's the argument was it actually columbine that being glorified mm -hmm. or not glorified but they were fucking glorified they were they were celebrities mm -hmm. and uh or was it just that person's excuse yeah it, it may have been the, the the you know that thing that drove him over the edge or something. Or the you know? excuse. So I mean, I, that's I probably think, be my guess. I think I've like I've going back to the you know do we blame the tool or or what well, what do we do? I mean, I think that it's sort of like uh, they wanted to punish gun manufacturers if one of their firearms were used in a mass shooting. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, and it's like. You know the firearm or i mean to me like it it's just this inanimate object that was created is there it's not going away and but like to me the human mind is one of the most dangerous weapons that there is because that gun wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the human mind and what the purpose of that weapon even a nuclear bomb or whatever like they're there because the human mind created it. So, you know, I mean, what, what, <laughs> we're, we're creating stuff, even with like social media, Facebook and stuff, and it, it's, it, it's intended and even used in good ways, you know, self-defense with a gun or Facebook with helping people, um, you know, create a, create a group that prevents suicide or something like these, yeah. are, these are good ways but at the same time they're being used to i mean what have we just in the last few weeks or months or so we've seen a guy commit suicide on tiktok i guess i missed that one oh like blowed his head off with a shotgun and like man i mean this is where we're at too at the same time simultaneously we're doing you know awesome stuff well you think it's we're getting more crazy or just social media and media in general is just able to report more yeah just, I, we're seeing more it's not that it's getting worse we're just yeah i don't i don't know i mean i definitely think well obviously you know it, it's there and it's being seen very easily but i i do think that it's cultivating a lot I mean, I would think it just seems that way because but whether it be, seems that way is because you're seeing it more often. Yeah, but, or not, whether it not be, that it's happening more often, you're just exposed to more. We're connected in the entire world. Yeah, whether it be a copycat, Columbine, <clears throat> or you know the riots in St. Louis are being videoed, and then the same people with the same opinions and stuff are creating a riot in Los Angeles, you know, I don't know. Yeah, because in 92, there really wasn't any, I don't think there was a copycat of the L.A. riots going on. That was yeah. isolated to L.A. 
and it was what in the newspapers maybe stuff. 90. What was that? When, that was, when was that? Ninety two. Okay, yeah. So it was television anyway. Yeah, that was uh over the Rodney King incident. Yeah, and ninety two. I mean, I was a I was a little youngster, so I don't. Well, we didn't have computer in the, even in the house at that time. So, <laughs> um, that was a long time ago. I don't. I don't. I mean, they did, may write it in other cities because that was national news. But I don't think I would. I would say that not everybody had access to the internet like we do today. Then I mean now you do no yeah now you've got a computer in your hand mm-hmm. pretty much everybody does so yeah I mean that so access, unplugging might be a good answer I mean it's too late it's too late yeah yeah I mean it's what are you gonna I mean who's gonna take upon the task of coming out there and saying no we don't need to we, this whole idea of banning these guns or the access to these guns and that kind of stuff, that's not what we need to do. We need to ban Facebook. <laughs> Good luck to that guy. <laughs> you get looked at like you're nuts. <laughs> I will tell you straight up, I feel I, a lot better since I got rid of Facebook. I do too, absolutely. I, the, I mean, I, I, I have a Facebook, um, but my, my, how I handle it and stuff is a lot different now. Um, I don't, one, like, I don't just friend everybody that sends me a friend request. You yeah, know? somebody you knew in sixth grade, you hadn't seen. Or not even know them. Like, it's just someone that knows me from knowing someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, no offense to you, but. I don't just, talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's, I don't know. It just, it gets so noisy. Well, I remember yeah. when I had mine, it's like. I'd get like a Nick fit almost for it. It's like you had to grab it just to open it. Even right. if you're looking is, at the same shit. It's wild. It was really. this tick. Yep. It's wild. And, and it, whenever I got rid of it and I started doing life without it for a little while there, it's like, how much thought, like how much, um, you know, mental strain is this putting on life in general? Like I could be thinking about you know, organizing my day for tomorrow or versus looking at just useless. Do a push up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do a pull up. It's more effective. Yeah. I mean, because like you said, it, it can get to where literally whenever you wake up in the morning. I mean, you're essentially working for free on Facebook. You know, you're making that little fuck bazillions of dollars yeah. wasting your time and your day when, like I said, one push up would benefit you. More mm-hmm. than getting on Facebook and making that dude millions. Yep. Billions. He's billions now, ain't he? Yeah. So. That's my biggest thing. I don't work for free. <laughs> yeah. Screw that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, I, I like Instagram. I, I find Instagram pretty cool because you don't see the as much of the bull as you do on like Facebook and like, Hey, I went and I went to go eat out of town or whatever. Like, I don't, you know, if people just put so much of their life on Facebook, it's just, you know, who cares? It's addicting. I mean, yeah. But with Instagram, what I've found is I found a ton of small business stuff on, on Instagram. And I guess they use like cookies and stuff and like, you know, whatever you, 
are interested in or you seem to search more you see more of and uh, related stuff on there so like uh with like firearm stuff naturally i've got a lot of that kind of stuff on instagram and like i recently had a um you know sent some parts to a gun uh, one of my guns to a guy in uh, pennsylvania that does like authentic like hand engraving and i mean this is just a i mean he's extremely extremely good at it and he has somewhat of a follower base but i mean that's sort of a lost craft too like that guy's he's doing that because he loves doing it because now you've got like laser engravers that's much more efficient and probably even cheaper but this guy just loves doing this and he's extremely good at it and like for me it's sort of a benefit for networking for small businesses yeah network that's what i was getting at was you know networking for small businesses but i just like i like i don't like the idea like this particular gun that i have you know doing this to um i'm real like nostalgic on a lot of things so i didn't want to have this gun like put into a machine and a program run the engraving on it like to me sort of like art mm-hmm. this guy's putting this thing under a microscope and with his own hands, he's creating this design in there. So Made it's, with love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's you'll you'll never get that out of a machine. I don't think you know. So, I mean, it's just that individual's craft, and so it's probably more expensive. It takes more time, but it's helping a small guy, you know, make a little money doing what he loves, and you know, I get what I wanted out of it, the nostalgic, like, hey, this is hand engraved by this guy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's the benefit of social media. That's one good side of social media. That's a good side. Yep. But that's that was me explaining why I like Instagram more than I do Facebook because that's what I see more of on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Like, I don't hardly, I don't think I even follow anybody that I know personally on Instagram. Maybe a few. But it, like, I've, have a hundreds of people that I follow, just random people that own small businesses. I don't think I've ever had an Instagram. They're pretty cool. I never if had I was Twitter. gonna, if I was gonna promote a social media, I would say get an Instagram. <laughs> so I don't do Snapchat very much. That's the other one I was trying to think of. Senator, I had one of those. Yeah, I had Snapchat for like a week. Yeah, it's kind of, like, it's kind of yeah. dumb. It's kind of dumb. I mean, I, I do it uh, every so often, like with two or three people that I know. Is it kind of just as a alternative way of sending a text message or or a picture? Like it's sometimes it's faster to send a Snapchat picture versus a uh, an actual picture over a text. So I'll just you know send them a snap or whatever. But that's pretty much the extent of it for me. I don't have TikTok. They were talking about banning it. What was that? A couple of weeks ago? Or you you couldn't download it or something? TikTok? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Like Trump was talking about it was <laughs> yeah, China was, you know, spying on us through TikTok or something. Oh god damn. And it was like, we're doing away with it. And I was like I was kinda glad. I was like, Yes. <laughs> we're actually gonna take one down for once and then 
I don't know, they said something about, well, you got until Sunday. If you really want it, you got until Sunday to download it. If you've already got it downloaded before we ban it, then you're just, you'll have it. And so well, now what's it's the like, point of that? that's what I said. I was like, well, okay, well, what was the point of, like, now you just drove the demand for that through the roof. Maybe they bought stock. That, dude, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. I said, Trump's got stock in TikTok. That's got to be what it is. <laughs> I'd do it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. They so anyway. stock in the um, the company, I forgot what it was called, that made the Moab. Yeah. And he's yeah. dropping them bitches like it was hot. The Moab, yeah. He's like, watch this. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. Which, that's wild to me. I, here we go, getting dragged back into politics. <laughs> I think you should be like, an open book if you're ever the president like you got to shut down all your accounts all your income anything you got to sign it over yeah you know and what's crazy or at least about that, have it open for public display what's crazy about that too is is that being a president or a you know politician you know of that you know it, it was at one time it used to be it wasn't a career at all it was you were a servant yeah to the people of this country like, if you want to be president, okay. But you're coming to do this because you feel the urge to help this country. Like, we're not. That's before parties, too. Right. We're not paying you to do this. You're just. You feel the need to make, you know, organic, like, truthful change for the benefit of society. And. I definitely that think way. you should forfeit all income if you work in D.C. Yeah. Up. Almost like... We'll uh, take care of everything you need. Like Yeah, like military almost. Like, you know, we, we house you, obviously. We house you, clothe you, yeah, feed, feed you. Yeah, feed you for four years, and then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And then you can have all your stuff back. Yeah. But, like, me and Drew were talking about, it's like, it don't matter what system you put in place, eventually a loophole is yeah. going to be found and exploited. So. Mm-hmm. There's no point, really. Yeah. Like, like, let's say Trump wasn't allowed to have his hotels now. He'd just sign them over to his son. And yep. all the funding would just go through there. And when he got out, then he could put it back in his... You know, there's always going to be a back door it, to I everything. Mean, you know, and that's... that's We're kind of jumping on back and forth here, but that's essentially like the bump stock. They banned full autos. So the loophole was, well, we're going to create this stock that has a spring in it mm-hmm. to where it bounces your finger off the trigger every yeah. shot like and, and that is got binaries yeah binaries and, and that has happened consistently and i mean i've seen the uh the pistols brace pistols yeah the short yeah barrel. short barrel rifle now no one even like i don't even like saying this because it's like at what point is the atf gonna be yeah we need to do away with these I figure binaries would have come first since uh, rate of fire is such a hot topic. They haven't even. I like. They I don't probably even don't even know they exist. They probably don't. They really probably don't. Um, you know, as soon as someone does something crazy with one, they'll be gone. But I mean, I've got one. You know. But um, even with like ATF and stuff, I mean, having to like you, if you want a firearms license, you call and say, "Hey, I want to." The ATF of your state say, I want to get a firearms license. They send you a packet. You fill everything out, send them 200 bucks, and then 
a few weeks later, the ATF comes to your house, like an, an agent or multiple agents. Mr. Anderson. Right. <laughs> yeah. He sat down with me for like four hours. What? Yeah. Like, but not only that, like four hours, but you needed a month, to be honest with you, with all the regulations and stuff. He's like, throws this stack of papers down, like, this is what you've got to do. Don't do this and don't do that. And then four hours later, he's like, good luck. You'll see your license in a few weeks. So they, they just, you know, hand your license over. And then now you're responsible for all this stuff and learning it all on your own, basically. And it, it's crazy. But like speaking about, uh, talking about loopholes, even with that, it's like, uh, I had a 01, which was Gunsmith and Stiegler. But in order for you to, like if I want, like, so if you brought a firearm to me to get seracoded, I could seracote it for you. That would be gunsmithing because you're a customer requesting me to seracote it or to refinish it. But if I were to go buy a gun myself as a FFL and then seracote it, I couldn't sell it because that would be considered remanufacturing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, here's where the loophole is. It's like, well, could I... Because, I mean, I'm still an individual. Like, I have an FFL, which is this own separate entity. But I'm also still Matt Sharp. American. You know, an American. And so, I could, I mean, I I use my license to purchase firearms. Well, then whenever I get them, or even the opposite. Even if I, as Matt Sharp, went and purchased a firearm, aside from the FFL, could I, me as Matt Sharp, seracote it, and then uh, I, find, I don't think I want this anymore. I want to sell it and get rid of it. I could transfer it to my FFL, and then from the FFL, sell it to someone else. Well, now it went through the process of gunsmithing me as Matt Sharp to my FFL, and then out the door. Like, Same what result, was the point different of that? process. What was the process of well, it's that? It's like people that have full autos through a trust fund, or trust, or whatever. Yeah, or the, they do it through... Uh, what they call it? Uh, department, department issued, or department? I I forget the term, but it, essentially they have a license to build and store, or uh, you know, keep in their house or in their possession a full auto, but it's for the purpose of the local sheriff's department or something like oh that. yeah somebody explained that demos to it, department it's a demo, demo. it's yeah. a uh, prototype yeah yeah but you don't even have to be in dealership with the police department you could build one to present mm-hmm. like would y'all be interested in buying this <laughs> as, type? and they'd 40... be like no like okay i'll take this one home yeah <laughs> right right and it's like uh you build you know you build it's like you take it to the, <laughs> the sheriff's department i got this uh you know, parts kits, MG42, you know, <laughs> belt-fed machine gun. Would you guys like to use this, maybe? you think you would need it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Dang. Oh. Shoot. <laughs> uh, Got this 40 millimeter out back on a trailer. <laughs> you guys think, uh, yeah. maybe? Yeah. And, and you don't have to have a license to build like a cannon. You know, you can yeah. you can just go build a cannon. <laughs> I think you can even have a twenty mil, can't you? 
I don't, I'm not sure on like the limitations or anything like that. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of gray. It just area. seems like a taxation on 2A. Oh, it is. Every bit of it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because, like we said, in the end, it's, it's like drugs. It's, it's um, going to be there whether you want it or not. And there's a loophole for everything. Mm -hmm. Like the. Like you said, it's switching an item from license to, well, I guess it wouldn't be, a, you wouldn't have a license as Matt Sharp, but taking it from an individual ownership to a, a license, you could mm -hmm. totally screw them. Yep. And with trust and all that with the police. And... Yeah. All I'm saying, gangsters have AKs, so the shit ain't working. Yeah. That's and they're, they're, going, they're going to get AKs. I mean, Tech 9s and Mac 10s and or AKs it, aren't symbol of the streets for nothing. Yeah, or in some cases, our own government gives them the weapons. Because that's happened too. Oh, you're going deep web now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> get deep into it. Yeah, I think, what was it? Uh, was it El Chapo? I think, like, they found, like, they traced some of the weapons back to... Talking about the Fast and Furious yeah. screw up. God. <laughs> if that wasn't just so obvious, I don't know what is. Yeah. I tell you what, I don't know if you, you may have seen him here or there. He's been on like Joe Rogan's uh, YouTube podcast. I know he's been on some of his YouTube episodes, but uh, there's a guy, it's uh, Ed... I'm probably gonna hagger his name here, but it's, I think it's Calderon. Calderon, Ed Calderon. I'm gonna say that but anyway. Does it sound familiar? Um, he's Mexican, and he worked. Oh, that Border Patrol guy. Yeah, he yeah, worked. Okay, he worked yeah, in yeah. Border Patrol and like anti-narcotics for like 15 years yeah. from Tijuana. He I'm, lives in I'm the U. He lives in the U.S. now. That dude can tell you. He's gonna. He'll tell you some stuff that you're not gonna hear on the news. And really, really good stuff. And that's what's so like important about this Gorilla Radio. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Okay. First time in a long time we had the opportunity for underground people to yeah tell their stories. Yeah, because man, I don't. I mean, I don't know about you, but journalism is dead. Oh, it's just talk shows now. Yeah, mainstream it, it, media is just a talk show. Yeah, it's just a. Ponzi scheme now. Yeah, I remember growing up, we had all we had was one and a half channels because all we had was an antenna. We got mm -hmm. NBC and half a CBS, and our uh, our local news done the news on NBC mm -hmm. after the relay was done. And that was the kind of news I grew up with. It was just local. They told the story. They had they didn't sit there and yell or nothing. Yeah. And then you get older, and we got satellites and shit, and all these news people are yelling and being mad and standing up and preaching. I'm like, damn. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Or even the Weather Channel. You know, you see those clips of those guys. It's like it's a big hurricane, or there's a storm, anyway. And they're out there, and they're, like, losing their balance, and it looks like they're being blown away. And then in the background, it's like two individuals just kind of casually just walk behind the camera. It's like they're making this out to be like it's this crazy, bad situation. It's really gotta get them views. Yeah, technology's gotten to a point where they don't have the monopoly anymore. 
Yeah. So they got to reduce themselves down to jesters. Yep. But sometimes they do get nailed. You ever see the one where that woman was in a hurricane and a stop sign smacked her in the face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty that. sure that, that one was legit. Yeah. yeah or she yeah. took a one hell of one for the team. I forget. I, not long ago, I was uh, on my phone looking at the Weather Channel. It may have been one of the hurricanes that was coming in or something, but uh, they they actually said on there, like openly said, that we're trying to make good television for you guys. But and I was like, really? They're not even hiding it anymore. So. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Yep. Anchors are pretty much actors these days. Yeah. Uh, Want to top anything off? Man, I I I feel like we need to have another one. You know, but uh. But what? We could go for politics again for hours, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably dip into that. Like, uh, what's the political culture war too, eh? Yeah. But, you know, maybe, I don't know. We may have to change it up a little bit. Like, we had talked about some of the, the, uh, the cool stuff, like the, the ghost hunting stuff. Not something I've ever, I'm not into it. Don't, not, you know, <laughs> like some people are, but, uh, it's a fun topic. And that kind of, there's a lot of question there too, you know. It kind of plays well, into I mean, the, the it religion. It kind of plays into religion. Yeah. I mean, like if you. What time is it? Two sixteen. What time you get a roll? About, about two thirty. You got about fifteen minutes. Oh, we can't do that. Fifteen yeah, minutes. Yeah, no, fine. We'll, we'll have to come back that. on that one. Yeah, we'll come back. Yeah. Talk about ghosts and afterlife and. Yeah. Hell yeah. Sounds good. And we are out. It's been Matt Sharp. See y'all later.